Welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa idea in the 21st century. Let's make art. In this episode of the Iowa Idea podcast, I sit down with Chris Burnett. Chris is the lead singer and sometimes rhythm guitarist for the bands Tripmaster Monkey and Crash. Over the past 20 plus years, I've been able to catch Tripmaster Monkey, Chris, Jamie Toll, Wes Haas, and Marty Rehans. They've always put on great shows and have been fun guys to hang out with offstage. So it was a joy to have Chris talk about creativity and collaboration. Chris and I discuss his journey from high school talent show, saying he had a band before he had a band, to being signed to a major label, to creating and collaborating and finding joy in creating music and art for 30 years. We discussed how the music industry has changed along the way and how that impacts the creative process. I appreciated Chris highlighting the power of collaboration as an essential part of that creative process. It was an honor having Chris on the podcast. I'd like to thank him for joining me, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Chris, thanks so much for joining me on the Iowa Idea podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. If you don't mind, for our listeners, could you tell me a little bit about yourself? Absolutely, Matt. Um, Chris Burnett. I am soon to be 50 years old in November, and I've been playing in rock bands since I was 17, uh, two specifically, actually two only, really, uh, Tripmaster Monkey and the band Crash. Um, been writing original music since we were in our teens. Um, Tripmaster had a heyday in the 90s. Got to tour all over this country and over into another. I went to England and uh, got to make a video that uh, MTV played, I think, twice back when they used to play music. Right. We recently did a reunion with that band and put out a fresh album actually about a year ago, almost to the date. I think it came out uh, late, late summer. And uh, that's, uh, that was the latest thing that we've done. Crash has been on hold now since quarantine. Uh, we're we, we convinced our bass player to purchase a Mac computer to get GarageBand so we could trade files over the internet. So I've been writing and recording my own stuff at home, and I'm excited to get <clears throat> the other two in on the process. Meanwhile, Tripmaster continues to um, work on songs over GarageBand files, and uh, we're concocting up what we believe will be a pretty cool EP. Awesome. If, if it's all right with you, I want to dig in a little bit about uh, with Tripmaster. Uh, so before Tripmaster Monkey formed or as it was forming, uh, what, what was the motivation for you to write music, get together with like-minded folks and start to go down that rock and roll path? It's, I mean, it's like so many bands of our era, you know, I was into the music I was into and, thought of it as <clears throat> something that, you know, when I saw some of the bands that I admired a ton and kind of realized that it is something that anyone who really wants to can do, I thought I'd take a stab at it and uh, had to assemble people. I was just telling this story last night to some friends and they were asking about how we started and stuff. And I said, I actually booked the first gig before I had a band. 
<laughs> I, I, I knew in high school we could do our homecoming assembly. And I was like, yeah, I've got a band. And they said, okay, great. We'll put you down for the band. <clears throat> so from there, I had to go find people to play with. And I started with the only musician in the world I knew. And that led to me meeting the other people that we eventually formed into what is currently still Tripmaster Monkey. But uh, it, it was just a desire to express myself. And, and I, I wanted to be creative. And I thought of all the arts that I'd looked at before, a rock band could incorporate all aspects. You know, you get to work in video, you get to work in sound, you get to do uh, live performance, you get to do studio, you know, and so it really started there. Thanks. And when you, when you got the band together, because uh, I'm one of the big themes on, on the podcast that we love to explore is both uh, creativity and collaboration. Uh, what was it, what was it like pulling pulling three other guys together to start collaborating. And, and I know you've expanded and, and there's much more, but one, the core of the band, can you, can you walk me through what that early collaboration was like and maybe what you've learned over the years? Yeah, it was, I mean, we're in a kind of neat situation that these guys that I'm still making music with today, we all learned to do it together. Um, I think when we first started, the idea was we had a couple, just a couple cover songs that we wanted to pull off. You know, you're going to do the homecoming assembly. You got to play some hits. Right. <laughs> and, uh, so we covered a couple of songs. And uh, I remember early on saying that my intention was to have an entire set of original music. And I, I remember the other guys were kind of like, well, that's sort of a lofty goal. <laughs> and I, and you know, at the time it was, because we really had no idea how to write even one song. But uh, it was something that I just, I knew we could do. And uh, we downsized after our first six months together. We uh, went on without David Reynolds, our first guitar player. So then it was Jamie and, you know, he was originally our keyboard player, Jamie Toll. Yeah. And uh, I had convinced, he'd been playing guitar on some tracks. And I really wanted that four-piece rock band format, classic, you know. And... Uh, we, over lots of discussion and debate, determined that he could be the sole guitar player in the band. And he stepped up and I think became quite a inventive guitar player. You know, he, he's got a music ear that I think none of the rest of us do. And uh, he can carve out melody. He's got a piano background and lots of music in his genetics. And I think that that was, you know, something that I only realized later how how talented he was and is, you know, and still continues to be. He's kind of, I wouldn't have said it when we were younger, but I'll say it now. He's a driving force in Tripmaster Monkey, you know. Uh, most of the output that we've done, some of the greater songs that we've written, he initiated and came up with. And then it was the rest of us carving away at it. And that's, that's my favorite way to work now. But so, yeah, thank. Can you walk me through that a little bit? I mean, is he coming up with a, like a melody or a chord structure, and everybody then is starting to add parts or build on that? But what what does that look like for some of your favorite songs? Yeah, over the years, um, there's we, we've attempted just about every which way you can to write a song. Any you know, start with lyrics, try to write around that. We've done you know, start with uh, just a jam session. We've done every which way you can, but what worked, I think, the best and for the best material was um, 
you know, either Wes or Jamie would come up with a musical riff of some kind. What Jamie's gotten really good at in the later years, and, and even, you know, towards the end of uh, when we were doing Practice Changes, the last big album that we did back in the 90s, um, he could write the song and then arrange it and, and have a rough arrangement that, you know, when you bring it to the band, it might morph and change. But he would have vocal melody, which I think is the most important thing. It's, it's something that I am not gifted at. It's not my skill. I can write lyrics until the end of time yeah. and have a blast with that. But coming up with that melody to make it catchy and, and have the hook, that's what Jamie can do really well. And so he would give that, but it's just nonsense lyrics, you know, and, and blah, 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 and just, you know, filling in the spaces. And then he and I would often get together and sometimes write face to face and say, okay, what is this going to be about? And he might have an idea or I might, and then we'd be like, okay, let's, let's go line by line. We used to actually write like that. And that was really fun. And I miss that. But uh, as of late in the more, you know, recent times, it's he'll send it with the scratch vocal and then tell me an idea of what he wants it to be about. And then I go to work on putting the puzzle together. And I absolutely love that and dedicate time to it. Cause it's like, I want to impress the guys in the band first, you yeah. know? And so that's my thought process. And I, and I know Jamie so well, I know kind of how he thinks. And if he says, I kind of want it to be about this, I know, words and phrases and things that I know that he will like. And when I'm writing, I'm thinking of that sometimes like, okay, this has to impress him first because he's given me the piece and it's, I have to step it up to like, okay, this has to be as good as what you're giving me. And so I, I think that's a really, really fun challenge. That that's great. I love that as you know, kind of also on the collaboration side, you know, with, with the guys in the band for, you know, you want to make sure you're, you're putting your best effort forward. And I like, I just love that notion, as you said, of trying to try to impress them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if I can do that, then it, it passes, you know, you really can't argue with it. If it's something that they like and I like, it's like, okay, well, we know this is good. This for us is good. You know, whether anybody else catches on or not, that's always up for debate, you know, but uh, if we can get it through the first initial test run of like, okay, do we like it? Then you've got something fun to do. You know, yeah. so. And you and, and yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, sorry. I don't remember what I was going to say. Oh. I was just, gonna, <laughs> and you know, just for for folks listening, right? When we're talking about like late '80s, early '90s, and and one of the big kind of music movements, right, was was grunge as kind of a a theme. But just thinking back to to music, then can you imagine what what you guys ended up doing on the the last album that you you're not really even living in the same time zones, right? And you're able to collaborate and put something yeah. together. Yes. And, and what I've been so pleased with is that the, the newer materials shows this maturity. I mean, there was a 22 year span between our most recent record and the one before it, you know, and, and it was pretty darn cool to initiate that and spend about a year carving it out, sending tracks back and forth and just the subject nature, everything about it is, we, I've said this, it feels like <clears throat> we took the rock format of our second album, Goodbye Rays, and expanded upon that. So we kind of came back where we left off in the 90s 
And then I think the next thing we do, we've all agreed, we're ready to go into more of that practice changes area that we do yeah. where it's a little bit more artsy. We wanted to do the rock thing because, you know, one last gasp before we're too old. <laughs> and so we, we put some aggression in it and some, some cool, you know, rock hooks and stuff. But I think the next thing we do is going to be a little bit more ornate and probably, uh, I don't even want to say philosophical, but probably more complex or just more, more like artsy the way practice changes turned out being versus the one before it. Yeah. So uh, just as a, as a fan and a, a music nerd, I was just so impressed with, with the last album. And Thank you. It, it's interesting hearing you say that because also I was, I thought practice changes was great, but I was kind of curious also like, was this, you were assigned to a label, right? It, were there, uh, I'm painting with really broad strokes, so I apologize, but no worries. Is this like, you know, kind of Wilco Yankee Hotel Foxtrot where the label can't understand it? You guys are really proud of it because I thought what you did with Practice Changes was was great and it was a big step forward, but uh, it, it seemed like maybe that wasn't what the label wanted. You know, they didn't make it clear what they wanted. They didn't speak up because I think they were in such, it's a typical case of when you're with a big company, you're not really in touch with the people making the decisions. You're down the chain somewhere. and I don't think anyone, including our A&R rep, was putting in input at that time of to, as to what kind of songs we should do or how we should go about it. I think they kind of let us be, but I also know that there was turmoil at the top level at Warner Brothers at the time that that was happening. And so I think everybody there was kind of looking to save their own ass, you right. know, and, and, and make sure that they're doing the right thing. And we were even told that at some point in time that, well, all the attention that you guys would be getting for this debut album that we had was uh, diverted to bands like Space Hog or uh, Delight at that time. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and I remember the uh, vice president of uh, Sire Records, Howie Klein at the time, he said, and I hate Delight now. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if anybody needs to know that, but I just thought it was funny because he was like, he was pissed, you know, and this was the vice president of Sire Records at the time. And he's like, he felt like he couldn't get enough done for us. And, and then, you know, so for practice changes, I think for us, it was a much more of like, well, now we're really just going to do what we want because yeah. we kind of, I, I think in our hearts, we sort of had a feeling this might be the last album. You know, we, we didn't really think that or embrace that concept, but it sort of felt like, well, let's, let's do whatever we want. We, instead of going to a studio in some other state and staying in an apartment for a month like we did for uh, Goodbye Race, we bought studio equipment with Pat Stolle and opened up what, you know, is now future Apple Tree Studios, basically. I mean, it's gone through some metamorphosis, but that was the genesis of it. We used label money to equipment and loaded up our practice place and made it a studio and recorded yeah. for an entire summer every day was our job to go in and make this album and it was i, I think we all look at that as like oh my god that was some of the best times of our life it was so fun so and was that like you said it just kind of looking at it like a job that was like you know we'll we'll show up we'll put put x number of hours in um not necessarily like in a bad, like punching the clock way, but that was, I mean, that was, that was your job, right? At it that was. Time? I, I think if we, if I really dove into it, I think uh, 
Wes and I were probably working side job hustle stuff, mowing lawns or something and, you know, to get extra money because you got, you got chunks of money to live on from an advance or from a publishing thing or something. And it wasn't like, Oh, you've always got money coming in. So I think we still kept working, you know, to have some income in between those things. But, but yeah, it was, it was a, there was a period of time where we can say that music was sustaining us for that length of time for, I'd say it was probably about, Oh, two and a half, almost three years. Right on. Yeah. Skipping back to kind of the, the last album and just that, that recording process. So from a, from a business perspective, uh, was it self-funded, self-produced? Oh, thank God for GoFundMe. Yeah. Uh, you know, actually we did a Kickstarter, so I yep. should thank them, not GoFundMe. Right. Go fund yourself. Um, <laughs> they, uh, that was really, really cool. The time of, you know, uh, crowdsourcing was, I mean, that was still, not, I wouldn't say new, but catching on. Right. And enough people knew that if they got an email, you know, and, and our fan base are all same age, and not all, but many same age. And so many have gotten their careers going and stuff and have a decent income they're making and say, Hey, I can give Tripmaster 25 bucks to make a new album. I'd like to hear that. So we, we raised enough to cover all costs, basically cover all costs. And then with the three shows that we did, we were able, I mean, I think we came out maybe like 200 bucks ahead with, <laughs> with merch sales and everything. And when we finally, you know, cross all the T's and dot all the I's and look at it. It was like, yeah, we're about 200 bucks up. And, and to all of us, that was a huge success because we're like, well, we, we, we didn't spare any expenses. We bought vinyl. Yeah. You know, we, we stayed in hotels when we went to Cedar Falls, you know, no more crashing on floors. And so, yeah, it was, it was a, a, a total success in, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Awesome. And, and then from a kind of, uh, calling the shots perspective, right? So you, you, you guys make, got to make the calls on, on songs and tracking, right? It wasn't a, you know, a label or somebody trying to tell you what, right. what type of tune no. you needed. Yep. No label involvement whatsoever. We self-released, self put it out. And that's such a tricky thing now um, to, to know how to market anything. I mean, I have lots of friends who are brilliant musicians that make incredible recordings and we're all in the same boat, kind of look at each other like, yep, got an album. <laughs> you know, what do you do with it now? And yeah. uh, it's, there, there are people who know. And of course, you know, you can pay money for a publicist. You can pay money for, you know, someone to work it. But I mean, you get into talking about like, where, where do you even do that? It's all digital streaming now. And that's something that I barely understand from a consumer point of view, right. you know, it's, it's crazy. We did talk to a guy that was doing some publicist work for us and he seemed like he was, you know, really, really into the numbers and the uh, data and, you know, Google stats and everything like that. And, and what it came down to was who, who's hearing this record, you know, how do we get people to hear it? And I, I think you, you realize that, well, you have to have a lot of money to back it and go put it out. Mm-hmm. It just depends on what your expectations are and what you want. You know, I'm personally pretty happy with the fact that a, a segment of our previous fan base came out of the woodwork and said, awesome, love it, you know, and, and we were able to sell out a couple of rooms on a, on a tour 20 years after the fact, you know, and uh, 
just had a blast making it. I mean, you talk about the the process versus the product, and it was you know really really fun to be back in that laboratory with those guys and say, let's try to make the best thing we can. Cool. And if I'm remembering this correctly, then it. So, I mean, you're, you're working remotely, you're exchanging garage band files, but kind of when the final product came together, you guys were all uh, kind of in the same physical space working together. Is that right? Yeah, we ran a, a pretty good marathon with Pat Stolle at Future Apple Tree 2 over in Rock Island. And uh, it was, it, we, Jamie, I think, flew in on two, if not three different occasions for recording sessions. And I think that for two of those, we had... Wes present as well at the same time to do basic tracks. And then there was some outside tracking done. Uh, Jamie took and did some guitar tracks in LA. Um, and God forgive me, I forget the name of the studio that he was at, but uh, it's a friend of his that he'd worked with before. And so he did guitar tracks and then, you know, uh, grouped those and sent them back. And then we all had mixing sessions together. And Eric Stone, our latest. Uh, our only other additional member yeah. of Tripmaster, other than Robson Rusty, our old sound man who used to play from behind the soundboard. <laughs> uh, but Eric did tracks in, I believe at the time he was in Ohio. And they're all going to laugh at me if I got that wrong and they hear this, but he's in Colorado now, but I think he was recording tracks from Ohio and uh, sending those to us. So it was a conglomeration, but yeah, there were, there were plenty of uh, practice sessions and then, like, we practice two days. Okay, we're going to start recording on Friday and then spend all day laying down as many basic tracks as we can and fill those up, get everything, the, the tracks the way we want. And then the process of overdubbing, you know, those guys all flew back home. And I would get with Pat because I live here and Marvin lives here. And we would do vocals and... uh just keep carving away. And we had lots of help from Jeff Conrad too, who's a local friend and musician in Rock Island, uh, Conrad. And uh, yeah, he helped us out a lot with some overdubs and a lot of the digital handling of it too. And then even a lot of mixing as well. So it was, it was a big group project and it was a great big uh, return to the team that put together our last album, you know, with Pat. Yeah. And, uh, a couple of additionals and it was just, it was really, really fun. You know, it was nostalgic yet. I still felt like we were moving forward. You know, we picked up where we left off, but I think we did way better. <clears throat> if I was to rate the album against our previous output, it's the most concise, solid LP form that we've done. And I, I'm, I'm really happy about it. Yeah. Thanks. I, and I know, um, I think if uh, part of the promotion uh, you guys released a couple songs before the full album. Because uh, I, yeah. I, I think I remember, and I might be misremembering, but uh, um, I think I heard New York before it was on the full album. Was that you part did. of? Okay. Yeah, yeah. and I, was, I know I was really, I was really pleased and, and with it as a fan. And that was one of the big things that was just hitting me was just, you know, kind of, from my from my perspective, just was really curious about all the collaboration that might go in, how you guys pulled that off. So I really appreciate you walking me through that whole process. Absolutely, yeah. That was Jamie's pick for cover. That's a an art that I think uh, 
has changed over the years. I was talking about this with friends last night again. Tripmaster Monkey, we, we did pretty good at picking cool covers. And there was an ethos back in the day that like, well, you don't play any hits. Yeah. You, know, you play the obscure cut of it might be this is a t-rex song but you've never heard it because it's on yeah. some weird 45 <laughs> flip side right. you know? yep. and uh we we love that when other bands would do it you'd be like oh wow this is a stone roses song or something yeah. real obscure yep. and uh but i was i saw titus andronicus play at the triple crown in davenport and uh, they came out and just bashed a set that sounded like warren zevon meets the new york dolls and the replacements <laughs> and then they had ted leo get up and sing and they said Ted was going to finish this night out. Here's our last song. And they kick in this, and you're like, what, what are they playing? And, yeah. and then all of a sudden Ted starts singing and it's, I go to bed evening. I go to bed same way. And by the first chorus, the entire room was singing full volume. Even if we're just dancing in the dark. And it was so <laughs> great. Master's been debating this over these Zoom calls during quarantine of like, what would be the best cover we could do, assuming we ever get to play live again? But uh, we've been on that search lately. There's a lot of stuff that's been tossed around, but nothing that we're like, that's the one. Yeah, yeah that's- I want to play it to a room full of people singing to the song in ecstasy, you know? So, uh, yeah, I'm curious from your perspective as a performer because that is that's a, it's an interesting thing i think uh as a fan sometimes i think covers can be such a rich area and do you do it faithfully or do you do it ironically make your own yeah right and i like how jamie did uh new york because if you you familiar with the original saint vincent right yeah yep yeah it she's very slow and you know ethereal and right. we made it into like an unrest song or something and, you know, and it just, it, and I, I think the intention was to get wall of sound about it, but we, we came up with something slightly off of that, that I think is pretty cool. And yeah, just change the tempo. And he learned, uh, I think a different tuning for it, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, it was fun. That was a fun one to do. And, uh, yeah, I like how that turned out. So uh, talk, talk to me a little bit, Ben, uh, about uh, Crash and, you know, things that you had learned in Tripmaster Monkey or things that you might want to have done differently. How does that, how does that come together in your current band, Crash? Um, you know, it's interesting because it's, I, they're totally different entities. Um, you know, for one, Tripmaster was my entire life for that point of time you know it was mm-hmm. like this is what we're doing with our lives now it's it's what i do with my time and the time that we can carve into it and crash is uh it's i always say that tripmaster is more um rock format and more uh maybe pop song rock song crash is a little bit more uh uh, not always, but sometimes more experimental and a little bit more tr- attempted philosophical, I suppose. I get to yeah. indulge in all of that because I have very you know, loyal players that just love to have something to work on. And they're, <clears throat> you know, my good friends, my dear friends, we've spent many, many years together now and played lots of shows and practiced a ton and gotten together and, and, and it's almost like a family you know of hey this is what we do and when we get the opportunity we go out of town for the weekend and play some shows and uh we've gotten really lucky on some deals playing with 
the Meat Puppets and Cracker. Actually, a year ago today, yeah, he played with yeah. Cracker at the mill. And it was a great show. So much fun. But, uh, but yeah, Crash, I, I'm, I'm a little bit more uh, less edited, which good and bad. You know, I, I think that I definitely benefit from uh, Jamie's perspective of, yeah, come on, dude, you can do better than that. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, you know, yeah, you might not want to say that. That's a little too on the note. Oh, okay, you're right. Whereas with Crash, it just it flies because the two aren't going to censor. You know, they, yeah. uh, they're not lyric writers and they, they, they're instrumentalists and uh, they're good at composition and, and help with that and overall, but they're not going to say, hey, Chris, you should think about that lyric, you know. So having an editor, I benefit from, and I think that's why the latest output from Tripmaster is just that much better, you know, and Wes is good too. I mean, I bounce stuff yeah. off of him and Marty too, I, you know, right, not right. to discount the drummer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, every, everybody has input and that, and that, that's sort of the difference too, is that Tripmaster was all four pistons firing at the same time on the, you know, crash. I think we all think like, yeah, Hey, this is fun. This is great. And we'd, we'd love to do, more but none of us are willing to dump our entire lives into it at this point yeah. you know but by nature of the time we spend doing it we kind of are you know and so go, yeah. uh going back to just you know differences that you have with crash and Trumpmaster from uh kind of lyrics and writing do, do you have a preferred songwriting routine um there, or is there a routine or do you, is there just when inspiration hits, you just, you try to grab lyrics or, or melodies? It works all different ways, you know, and, and I, I definitely have carved out time, especially in this quarantine and said, well, I've got a couple hours. I'm going to go mm-hmm. just open the laptop and start working on some music. And before you know it, you've got an inspiration that could come from a drum track. You know, and then, oh, I've got a little something that feels here cool and I'm not quite ready to move forward with it. So let's just put it away till tomorrow, I'll come back to it. And but then there's times where fully formed songs have come to me, lyric included. And I thought I got to go figure out how to transform that into a song that I can play and record. And then there's times where I thought, hey, this is a cool lyric and I want to see if I can make something musical to that. So any way, shape, or form it comes, I just know that I've, I've always found myself wanting to devote time to doing that because it's just, you get in the zone and whether you produce anything good, bad, or what, you spent this time that flies by mm-hmm. and you look at the clock and go, oh my God, I should probably go to bed. Yeah. And, I, and I love that way of doing time you know on something that you're passionate about that you're interested so much that you're you put yourself into it and have so much fun that time literally flies by and and uh because we're we're of similar age i gotta say 30 years ago it was a lot a lot easier to uh uh, not be so regimented on sleep but uh when you're 50 you you pay for it now if you uh i know well, and this is funny too, because with these Zoom calls, Jamie's on the West Coast now. He's in LA. Yeah. And uh, Eric's in Colorado and West is in Portland. So they'll ring me up at 10 o'clock their time. And it's already midnight here on a Tuesday. <laughs> and they're like, hey, we're working on the tune. Uh, let's talk about the, you know, and I'm like, all right. And so we get going. And the next thing I know, it's 
three o'clock in the morning. I've got to get up and do some work the next day. And I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks, yeah. quarantine. Yeah. But, but I love it. You know, I, I just, I love being, I love being in a band. I, I think it's probably what I'm best at doing. If you boil down everything I do in life, I'm definitely good at keeping a band together. No one can deny that. <laughs> you know, the, the two bands that I've ever been in are still together. And what, I, I what is know. it that you like about it? I love making other people laugh. <laughs> I love saying ridiculous things. And I love that experience of getting together, but having something to do that's creative that we can all, you know, unpack or boil down or, or get it to its best form. And just something about the telepathy that you develop with musicians when you play together for a long time. It's, it is a language that's unspoken and to operate on that plane is really fun. You know, we're to this day, you know, well, not lately, but I have many recordings from our recent practices from crash where we just start playing something. And this is funny because it's always, uh, the second best version because after you play something you go hey we should record that <laughs> and and the first one clearly had the inspiration and was better but it's fresh enough that you can still recall it but you're like damn that first one was really good and then the second one you're like okay that's so we can remember it and work on it later right and uh yeah i just i just love uh i love hanging out with a, a group of people and saying let's let's make art Let's do this together, you know, and, and coming up with something and then presenting something. And, and I, I, I never would have thought so when I was younger. I mean, way younger. I was shy, believe it or not. But I love to perform. I love the immediate feedback of looking out and seeing someone's reaction to, ah, oh, you're doing something either cool or not cool or whatever. You know, it's just such a great exchange of energy in a room when there's presentation and you know, some acceptance or uh, reaction. So uh, from, your, from your perspective, when you are performing live, does the band feed off of uh, crowd reaction? Yeah, both, both bands that I've been in, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm delighted at how they do. All, all members involved definitely have been the kind of players that feed off of what the room's doing. You know, you, you, I've, I've seen bands that don't get that as well. They're just doing it, presenting it. Hey, here's what you get. Take it or leave it. And that's not as uh, fun to witness yeah. or be a part of. You know, I, I love that. Okay, now, now, you're, now you're with us. All right, we got you. All right, let's take it up higher, you know. And, and, and yeah, just boom. It's fun. So do you... Uh when uh, either with Crash or Tripmaster, uh, how does a set list come together for a show? Do, do you do it? Does the band collaborate? Do you look at like what may, might be uh, the hits or even just like anthems or, you know, these are kind of slow songs. So try, trying to, you know, kind of manage the energy of the room. Yeah, it's interesting because we've done it all different ways and, and Crash is I would say completely different than Tripmaster in that regards because <laughs> Crash allows me to get up on stage with no plan. And maybe minutes before we go on, Paul will sometimes nervously say, what do you want to open with? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll pick from what I think the room needs at that moment. 
And I, I, I prefer that, but there's no way the democracy of uh, Tripmaster would allow that. Like, yeah, just let Chris call him out. And, and plus, uh, with Tripmaster, there's several guitar tunings. So we have to group those songs right. together strategically. So there's a lot more strategy with the uh, Tripmaster set list. And, you know, we do consider flow and like, okay, yeah, you want to, you know, not do all your fast songs and in a row and, and pace things. And um, it, we've, we've done all kinds of things. I mean, Tripmaster was together 10 years and, you know, toured and did that. And so I remember hating to do the same set list two nights in a row. I'm like, yeah, it's just predictable for me. Right, know? right. And I, I realized that, you know, other people not even seeing the same show night tonight, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I love to get up and read the room and say, Oh, let's do this next. And, and with crash, it's easier. Cause I'm, I'm not an adept of enough guitar player to have multiple tunings. So, so there it's go. all going to be in straight tuning, you know, yeah. so there's no, no need to worry about that. <laughs> well, I know a, f- a few years ago, uh, it's probably closer to 10. I remember seeing uh, Elvis Costello and the imposters on their, uh, it was, I think it was called the Spectacular Songbook Tour. Oh, yeah. Where I want to say there might have been like 80 plus songs on this giant wheel and they would spin it. And, yes. and then where it would land, that's what they, I mean, one, once in a while, kind of Elvis's showman, he would kind of adjust it a little bit. But I, I always thought that had to be pretty daunting for, for everybody on stage, not, not knowing yeah. what's coming up next. Yeah, I, I find that drummers usually like to have some idea of what's going on. Paul's been very cool always and been like, all right, yeah, I'm cool. And there's only been, I think, one time ever <clears throat> that he questioned one of my calls where <laughs> 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 he's like, no, 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 let's not do that one. And I was, I, I went with him and then later we talked about it. I'm like, yeah. hey, that's cool. Anytime you want to do it. I mean, we're all so polite. There's no, in both of these bands, I mean, yeah. Tripmaster used to get into rows and stuff once in a while and had some arguments, but that was just trying to live together. Crash were just the nicest fellas yeah. and, uh, you know, very polite. And we get so excited to come off stage. I remember I heard an interview with Dave Grohl saying that, yeah, Nirvana wasn't the kind of band that gets off the stage and wants to talk about the set. And boy, hey, that was fun. And we did that part. And you know that when you did, and I, and I thought to myself, well, you guys are so much cooler than we are because Crash loves to talk about our set after the show. We like to go into it, get drunk somewhere and be like, oh, that was really fun. Did you remember when? Yeah. So we're, we're not that cool. So, but, but you got from a, from a collaboration and creativity, you do kind of deconstruct, hey, here's what happened. and Oh, yeah. And kind of walk I, I, through I, how the show went. I record the shows on my, on my phone and I have several Crash shows yeah. on uh, voice memo. And I'll listen to them sometimes on the drive home. I know that's yeah. really cheesy and it's, it's not very artisan because <laughs> most of them are like, oh, I never look back. I don't like to listen yeah. to my own stuff. I don't like to see myself on video. And I don't know. I, I think it's great to hear what I did and see how I pulled it off because it's a different experience than when you're in the moment. You know, you're, you're flying free with no net. And then when you listen to it back, you're like, well, this is what happened. And for me, it's an improvement tool of like, oh, that had good flow. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, that's, that's I, years ago, I heard something that uh, when Seinfeld was working on new comedy material, he, w- he would put a recorder in the back of the room so that he, so he could dice, like just as a craftsperson, he could dissect what's working, what isn't, because he's trying to hone his craft. Right. And so I'm kind of, I find that really interesting that, you know, it's almost, 
this is kind of a ham-fisted analogy, but it's like for, for a sports team, maybe watching game film after something, you know, what worked, what didn't. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know, I know the cool people. I know the cool artists, <clears throat> the Dave Grohl's, the Kurt Cobain's and stuff. They don't want to have anything to do with it once they've done it. Pat Stolley's like that. And he's like, I don't, I don't want to listen to my stuff once I've done it. <laughs> like, I do. That's why I made it. Yeah. The only other artist that I've heard of who is that enthusiastic about listening to his own stuff is Bob Pollard from Guided by Voices. And I thought that was great when he said that. I was like, oh, good. I'm not a freak. Yeah. <laughs> it is fun to listen to your own stuff if you like it, you know. On the, you, oh, another, another yeah, go ahead. about set lists. The set lists. Um, Crash has some of the tricks in the pocket because I've always known that a good set to have flow you got to have a couple songs that go right into each other. Mm -hmm. And if you've got a clever trick that you've carved out and practiced before, you just know that when we do this song, we're going to go into the next one. And so those will be in, in a little bit of chunks sometimes. So I'll be like, okay, then we'll do the, the grace history thing. You know, grace comes from lightning right into history. Cause that works really well. So you might see us, you know, play five different sets, but in each one, a few of the songs, went in the same order right into each other because it's a great segue piece. And I, I think those are neat moments. And Tripmaster planned a lot of that too, of like how we would go from one song to the next and not have stops and gaps too much. You know, we've got pretty good talkers in Tripmaster that can entertain, but uh, you never want to rely on that because that's a, that's a tightrope in and of itself. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's interesting from a fan perspective too, right? Is listening and getting something more that you don't hear on an album, but then also you're trying to balance like, you know, the, the flow itself of the show. Yes. And that it doesn't become some, some monologue or uh, just, you know, kind of just verbal piece because you, you got a whole, a whole room waiting to hear music and, and kind yeah. of navigating that flow. Yeah, but I love the brilliance and the disaster of a replacement show where they would get up and just like, oh, play half a song off. Oh, what are we doing? Oh, yeah, go into this. All right, and then boom, 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 just knock you in the head. And you're like, wow, greatest rock band ever. And then pretty soon it just falls apart. And, but I, I, we're just, we weren't that cool ever in Crash or Tripmaster to pull that kind of ethos off. So who were some of your early influences musically that, that kind of gave you, gave you that uh, enough of a push that you wanted to perform in front of people? I, I think my first love where I was like, oh, I want to know how they do that was the police. You know, when the police hit me in 1980 and, and you know, people older than me are like, oh, you got into them at the worst time, but I worked my way back and I've absorbed yeah. everything they ever did synchronicity was the album that changed my life you know i'm in seventh grade going into eighth grade and this ginormous hit comes out on this you know new format with mtv and this black and white video and then all of a sudden i started realizing that this sting character had been around in my life with do 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 and don't stand so close to me and i'm like started working my way back and i'm like they did something really really cool and just got so into it and this he was such a before he became the aristocrat that he is now, the, you know, the tantric yoga master stuff. <laughs> right. I, I've, I've since lost touch with them, definitely. But, but still, there's a place in my heart for the police and, and even the reunion tours and stuff. But this guy that was like all deep and philosophical, 
and smart and sexy looking and really evil looking. He had this cool nickname and the spiky hair. And yeah, he was a you know fake punk at first and stuff. But I was just like, that guy knows what he's doing. He knows how to write a damn song. And he's got this golden voice and those guitar chimes that you know Andy Summers pulled off his wizardry, the effects units. And then Stuart Copeland, one of the best drummers rock and rolls ever had. So unique and dynamic and impactful, you know, but could carve out really nice, tasty balladeer stuff as well, you know? And so that was the first big thing that got me excited to say like, is that an option? Can I do something in that world? And uh, oddly enough, I went to, Amnesty International uh, Conspiracy a Hope Tour uh, for the political activism of, you know, getting membership drive for Amnesty International, which I'm still a member of today. Um, And Peter Gabriel was on the bill, Lou Reed. uh, Sting was on the bill, so I was excited. It was 86 or 87, and the police had broken up and been apart for a couple of years. U2 was on the bill, and this is pre-Joshua Tree. And... I went to that show, bought the ticket because I was like, oh yeah, Sting, Peter Gabriel, Lou Reed, U2 I'd kind of started getting into. And then I thought, well, I better brush up on my U2. And so listening to Under Blood Red Sky and Unforgettable Fire and all that, I was like, oh, this is going to be neat. They came out, U2 played. And by the time the police hit the stage, I was almost like, this show can't get any better. It just can't. I mean, U2 had people marching in the aisles. It was... I believe them at their absolute peak of power, you know, 26, 27 years old. And just they, in, in a half hour set, they, that was the moment that I was like, I have to get in a band. (laughs) I am going to start a band this summer. I was like, that is my goal. And then from there, you know, we got into REM and uh, the replacements came and taught us to not take it so serious. (laughs) which was perfect timing because we really, after a mouth load of REM and U2 and the police, yeah, you kind of need the replacements. And uh, of course, you know, we had tons of influence coming in from every angle and the group of friends, all music sharers at the time and still to this day. So lots of, but those were the the DNA probably of Tripmaster Monkey and later what became Crash. You know, I've always said Crash has been trying to write a, police song since day one we just haven't pulled it off yet <laughs> yeah that's that's interesting because i know i've heard at times from um yeah like early uh, wilco shows like jeff tweedy saying that uh basically they're trying to be the replacements right that's that's what he's been trying yeah. to do is write a replacement too right right and and uh we did do a song called uh, windows and doors and it's got eric stone was actually in the band at the time with crash and uh he played a great guitar riff to added to a delay part that I had. And I always joke that, look, it took two of us to make one Andy Summers. <laughs> right. That's, that's how good that guy is. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we, uh, that's what we do. And, and yes, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm neglecting to mention the classic rock side of it because it seems like that gets covered ad nauseum, you know, but uh, Beatles, Kinks, Stones, uh, the who, you know, those were big for, Tripmaster and obviously carried into my later work. But, you know, I, I went on a huge Kinks uh, deep dive back in the early to mid to late 90s. I, I worked at the River Cities Reader and 
wrote a review on one of the Ryko disc releases and uh, they sent me the whole catalog of <laughs> all the Ryko reissues. And I was like, oh my God, it just blew my mind that there was so much kinks stuff that I had never heard or thought about. And then the stuff that I did know, I was like, this is amazing. And I'm still diving into that. In fact, <clears throat> I would say that I finally got Jamie into uh, the kinks Arthur uh, years yeah. after I'd given it to him. And then he discovered it on his own supposedly. And I'm like, no, I gave that to you years ago. And uh, it's a big, huge influence on the current songs that we're working on right now. The, Shangri-La plays a part in it and uh, Australia and stuff like that. And we're trying to, trying to mold into some kind of big multi-part song. That's, which, no, that's great. And I'm, uh, I'm kind of a big smile on my face because a lot of my uh, early music uh, influences were from my dad's record collection when I was a kid. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was his, his music was really heavy into British invasion and, uh, and old country, you know, like, you know, John, yes. Johnny Cash and, uh, you know, Merle Haggard, and then getting a little bit into kind of the, the outlaw vibe of uh, Jennings and, and Willie was Nelson. He a Roger, was he a Roger Miller fan? He was a huge Roger Miller fan. I am a huge Roger Miller fan. I am sitting here staring at an album cover yeah. right now. And, yeah, uh, I th that's that, <clears> like, that's that country and almost a little like pop and fun all kind of spun into one. Yeah. He was the clown prince of country music. <laughs> yes. and, and I just think that's genius. He was just a wackadoo. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, if you look at our crash bio, I think on Facebook or something, we, we describe ourselves as a mix between Peter Gabriel era Genesis and Roger Miller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Which I don't great. know what that should sound like, but that's what we're shooting for. <laughs> One, my, for whatever reason, my dad had no kinks albums in his collection. Right, he had all this British and and so, kind of like what you described. I, you know, I I would hear some Kinks music, especially early MTV, their later stuff, and then yeah, maybe twenty years ago, I started like just going through their back catalog, and for me, it's it's a delight, right? That, oh. like, it's it's all it, you know, a lot of stuff that's new to me, but I'm just I can't believe the Kinks weren't bigger than they were. Right. Well, and, and if you dig into the bio stuff, there's good reason why it kind of, but I think it kept Ray hungry yeah. too and, and kept him in that artist seat of like, well, I'm just going to write these damn good songs, you know, and say what I want to say. And he was the working man's, you know, songwriter and just, yeah, complete uh, concept records. I mean, probably at least four different concept records. And I mean, shit, they put out Village Green when Sgt. Pepper was coming out. Right, right. Now, just to such a, and, and, and I had this game kind of going with Crash. We'd be in the van and uh, I'd play something. I'd be like, guys, guess who this is? And after a while, they learned to just say the kinks because they're like, <laughs> for a while, they'd be like, oh my God. This is the Kinks too, and after a while, they just weren't surprised anymore. <laughs> yeah, I I do that with the kids, but it, it it tends to usually go back and forth between Pixies or David Bowie. <laughs> nice. So yeah, there's, so there's they know usually there. Yeah, if they grab one of those, they're in in pretty good shape on on a guess. Chris, question for you because one of the big themes we we talk about too is advice, and um, you know I. I, I reference uh, Austin Kleon in his book, Steal Like an Artist, where he says, when you're giving advice, you're usually talking to your younger self, but was there good ad advice that you received uh, early you know, in, the, in 
from a music perspective or creative perspective that still sticks with you? Or is there any advice uh, you wish you would have received earlier in your career? <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because I want to tell this story. Yeah. Uh, there's this guy, local fella. Uh, I'm not sure if he's dead or alive now, but he used to work at the Curiosity Shop and he's in the band called Cobalt Blue and they were blues players and his <laughs> name is Jason Stewart. And, uh, Large and in charge, man, and just attitude up and down. And he'd been on the scene way longer before Tripmaster Monkey. And we were talking to him at Stickman's one night, three uh, days. And uh, I love it when people try to be this important. He said, you're going to want to take a drink of your beer because after what I tell you, you're going to want to spit it out. <laughs> and I think Jamie, Jamie was with me. And I was, I kind of like, I, I did take a drink and I looked at him like, okay, what do you got? You know, like, damn, this better be good. And uh, he said, and he, he held his hands up, made kind of a quote sign. And he said, you can't make clean music with a fuzzy mind. <laughs> and uh, I, I, my immediate response was, what if we want to make fuzzy music? <laughs> yeah, that was funny. And <laughs> oh, you can leave this in or not. But uh, Jamie had asked in a text thread one time, is that guy still alive? <clears throat> and I said, I'm not sure, but I do know this. He requested that when he die, he be buried in a vat of rib sauce. <laughs> oh, that's mean. But it was hilarious. <laughs> So yeah, what if, what if you do want to make fuzzy music? <laughs> right. And yeah, so, I, you know, I, I feel like it, it was a shame that we didn't get better advice from a business standpoint. And, and, I, and I, I, I have wished before, but since, you know, wishes whatever be what they are, um, thought, well, someone should have told me specifically, hey, you know, do everything you can on your own. Don't count on the record label that you've signed with to do it right and be your own advocate, you know, which I think travels into later life theory with doctors and stuff. You know, right, you've right. got to be your own advocate. You don't just go with, well, this is what you say we're supposed to do. So we'll do that. And yeah, okay. You know, yes, sir. I mean, not that we were like that, but we didn't go in and fight with the label and say, you know, screw you, you owe us money, let's do this, you're going to put us on, you know, we didn't, we didn't fight for that. But I've also said this over and over when it comes down to the whole story of Tripmaster Monkey Be It, what it was, <clears throat> that had it turned out any other way, I don't know that it would have been, I'm, I'm almost certain it wouldn't have been a better life than I have now. You know, I, I, I yeah. and, and Jamie always steers away from this, like, eh, I don't know about that. But, but I say, <laughs> Jamie, I say, if, if we would have been any more successful than we were, I don't know if we'd all still be friends. You know, by the end of 10 years, we were a little bit on each other's nerves, just like any group of people that are, yeah. you know, isolated down into, you know, this, just you guys doing this whole thing. I mean, shit, Beatles only lasted 10 years before they were like, hey, we got to grow up and do something, you know, and could branch out and so the, the way that things have gone i think that you know I, i'm very happy with how my life turned out and I've, I've got to do this crash thing and it's had its own separate life and experiences and had we been any more popular successful you know uh made more money or any of those things 
I don't know that it would have went the way it did, and I, I like what happened. So I'm always want to resign to the hey, I'm I'm content with how it turned out. But yeah, advice to myself would be, uh, you know, just keep doing it, and and that's what yeah. I did. You know, yeah. I stop. Yeah. So, but I, I would I would definitely say, I, I if I could see the future and go back and tell myself, you know, this is what's going to, I'd say, don't worry about it. You're still going to be making music when you're fifty. And it's going to be some of your best stuff. Yeah, and it, and and think, thinking about that as as a you know a twenty twenty two year old, would you even be able to process that? Probably not. Right. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't listen to a guy like me. If I, I, you know. <laughs> Shut up, old man. This is rock right. and roll. The hell do you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Chris, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. I can't uh, tell you. Uh, how thankful I am that you took the time to, to join me. It was, it was great to, to catch up. Yeah, thank you, Matt. I enjoyed it. 